I told you as we're on this journey together that we were going to sometimes take a jet tour through each chapter and summarize what God's word says. Other times I was gonna take a nugget out of that chapter because there's too much to cover in one message. This happens to be that time. Not able to give you today, what you need to read is you need to read this chapter. This is so full of drama and it's interesting and the the storyline, it's all real, it all really happened. It's powerful, all the miracles that God does, the provision of our great and mighty God. But today I've decided to pick out a nugget or a theme that we've identified from chapter six as we're looking at the story of Moses. Let me remind you, for 40 years, Moses had been serving alongside his father-in-law in the, on the backside of the desert. Jethro was his father-in-law. Then one day, Moses is out tending to the sheep and a bush catches on fire and it's not being consumed by the flames and God begins to speak to Moses through this burning bush episode and God calls Moses to go before Pharaoh and demand, let my people go. For 400 years, they've been in captivity uh, to the hand of of Pharaoh. Um, Generations have come and gone, and now it's grafted into their DNA. We're slaves. That's all we're going to be. That's all we're ever going to be is is slaves. But God has said, I'm going to build a great nation. And my great nation is not going to be a nation of people that are subservient, that that are slaves. They've got to be freed. So Moses goes before Pharaoh and the 10 plagues come that God sends to convince Pharaoh. Finally, Pharaoh says they can go and the children of Israel, 2 million of them under the leadership of Moses cross over the Red Sea. Seems like it should have been a pretty easy journey from the Red Sea to the promised land. But how many of you, that is if they take the direct route. But in case you don't know it, Our God is not a fan of the direct route. If you haven't experienced it in your own life, you will, because God is usually not interested in the shortest route. He is usually not interested in the most scenic route or in the most popularly traveled route. The Israelites don't take the direct route. In fact, they take a much different path. And I've got a really fancy map here for you, but I thought this is exactly, like this gets my attention, right? So uh, they started in Egypt and then they, they uh, uh, were, where they were enslaved. And they crossed over, they went to the land of Goshen, they crossed, this is where the Red Sea took place, they crossed over the Red Sea, and then they go down to Mount Sinai. And it's in this area that we talked about last week that they spent about a year. Two million of them camped together for about a year, and this is the time that God reveals to them the Ten Commandments and other valuable rules for living. It's a powerful time of, of encountering God. This is where they, they built the, the golden calf and where they had to drink the water and all the stuff that happens there. But they're only there for about a year. And, and from here, they're supposed to travel to here. From here to here. Because this is the promised land that God has promised to give to them. Now, we tend to think that, well, they must have had to trailblaze, like, a, like I don't know, 40,000 of them were leading with machetes and hacking their way through. That's, that's, not, that's not true, that's not true at all. Because in Deuteronomy chapter one, verse number two, this is what it says. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. There was a road? Yes, there was a road. It takes 11 days. 
Now put the map back up for me, please, Marissa, if you don't mind. So it takes 11 days to go from Kadesh Barnea um, up to, to, to the promised land. And it's, it's 11 days to go, 11. So if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, I'm not real good at directions. My daughter, Kyra, amazing. Since she was little, new directions, she, she would get us, she's just amazing. She's always had that innate in her. But, but these are the directions I understand. So um, you, you take a right on Mount Seer Road and you walk straight for 11 days. <laughs> Done. Moses has got to be thinking to himself, well, I can do this. You know, there's two million of these people and they've kind of proven themselves to be eh, questionable at times. So let's double down. Let's make it 22. You know what? Let's just call it a month. It's going to take us a month to get us from where we are to where we want to go. If you're like me, now I'm telling you, I am trying to be delivered of this. Okay? So I don't say this tongue in cheek and I say this in front of my lovely bride. But if you're like me, the GPS on your phone, when you, it didn't, oh, by the way, young people, it wasn't always there, right? We didn't used to have these things. We had a, actually a, a Rand McNally map, right, that you unfolded and you had to figure it out and you hoped that it wasn't outdated. Um, but when I tell my phone, hey Siri, now all your phones are gonna go off right at home, hey Siri, those of you have a phone, like, would you stop it? Um, hey Siri, give me directions from here to ba ba dee ba doo ba dee And Siri's like, it will take you 27 minutes. And I'm like, no, it won't. <laughs> I can do better than that, right? Yeah, and that's what I need to be delivered of is that whole competitive thing inside of me, right? But it's, it's, it, it, I kind of think that that's Moses. He probably is like, okay, boys, 11 days, we got this. You know what? We're going to make it a little bit longer. But that 11 days turned into 39 years of wandering. 39 years God does not take them on the most direct route. Instead, they spend time wandering. Let's talk about what wandering is. Wandering, the definition I'm going to give you is living in the space between where I started and where I want to be. Wandering is living in the space between where I started and where I want to be. What I got from chapter six of all of the powerful stories that we could embrace, what I want to talk to you today about is this space, this wandering space, 11 days, 39 years. My guess is that for many of you, this kind of describes your life because by the way, God does most of his work in that space in between, between graduating and getting a job, but, but between dating and marriage. Between deciding we're going to start a family and having children, between going into debt and getting out of debt, right? Between being let go and finding new employment, between the diagnosis and the healing, between saying goodbye to someone you love and being reunited with them one day in heaven. It's that space in between. And, and I want to learn from God's word. And so the question that I have is, how do you live in the space between? How do you respond when it's a time of wandering in your life? Most of us don't do well with this because our life is not about the journey. Our life is, is about the, the destination 
I mean, our primary purpose to the journey is to get it over with as quickly as possible so we can get on to the destination. We can get on to where it is that we want to go. We don't like the journey. The journey seems innate to us. Ask any parent. What is the question that your children ask you first and foremost when they get into the car with you? Are we there yet? And so today, I would like to give you kind of a, kind of a, a visual of, of what we're going to be uh, looking at today. And so let's take this, this cone here represents the start. The start of what, Troy? Start of life? Not necessarily. It might be the start. It might be... Um, I found out I'm sick. It's the start. It might be we're going to have a child. It might be um, uh, I just got married, but it might be my marriage is in trouble. It's the start. And, and on this side is, is, uh, is what we're going to call the, the destination. This is this is where we want to be. This is, this is the place we want to. Here's what we really want. We, we want this, don't we? Done, right? Nobody, there's not a word that my phone, Siri, who's a friend of mine, um, speaks to me more, that speaks to my heart more than this. I'm like, Siri, hey, add to my calendar, Tuesday at 2 p.m. She's like, Done. Love hearing that word. Done. Right? This, that's what we like in life. But this isn't life. This, this is not life at all. This is more, more like our, our lives. And so we've got where we start, and we've got the destination. And just for, our, for us, for learning today, we're going we're gonna to call this, this part of it the, the, the journey of our lives. This, this is where... This is where it's really, really at. Um, we want to eliminate as much time as possible between where we are and where we want to go. Maybe as we sang about mental health today, maybe it's that. We want to just get it done. Give me the book to read and I'll read the book and it's over. Uh, we, with school, give me the test to take, I'll take the test and if I pass, well, that'd be great, I'm done. It's, it's not that simple. Uh, yeah, you got to put a ring on it. Put a ring on it, and it's done. Are you kidding me? <laughs> there, there's a lot more to life than putting the ring on it, right? It's, it's, it's not done. We are constantly in a hurry. It's kind of what marks our culture. How fast can we get the journey over with so we can get to the destination? Hmm. It, if you're not sure about this, I'm gonna give you a quiz, a pop quiz. I'm gonna put six questions up on, the, up on the, the screen for you to consider. You at home as well, question number one. Uh, I've cut through a gas station to avoid stopping at a red light, true or false? No, you don't have to say it out loud. That's like really, you guys are really being vulnerable here. I appreciate that, that's good. So it's just a true or false, true or false, okay? So you kind of keep it to yourself, all right? If you feel like you gotta say it, then just kind of do like that or something, that's cool. Question number two, um, I frequently look at my phone, my watch, or a clock nearby, 167. That's the latest stat that I read. The average person looks at their phone 167 times an hour, an hour, 
Constant looking at the phone. Constant looking at the phone. And if you don't know, have somebody near you tell you how many times you're actually touching your phone. You think you're looking to, is there a message? Did I miss something? Did someone want to post it? Did somebody like my thing? But, uh, you know, it's just we do it over and over and over again. You'll be blown away. But if you frequently, I mean, I don't know how many people actually use clocks, right? We use it or, but with the phone, right? So we, I guess we have a clock in here. So there, have this one. How about number three? Uh, people who talk slowly irritate me. I want to slap them on the back of the head. Just say, spit it out, baby. You got something? Just, 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 just say it, right? So if that's you, if you're the slow talker, I apologize, right? You know what's worse is a slow talker who gets too close in your bubble. You know what I'm talking about? They're right here in the hello. How, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter. If this irritates you, true, then there's a problem. How about this one? Next question. Um, I often find myself finishing other people's sentences for them. I would say especially if they're a slow talker, right? <laughs> so if that's you, then, and the answer is true, then you might have an issue with this. Is there one more? Yeah. When I'm delayed and running late, I am irrationally upset. Oh, if that's you, you might just have a, a challenge in this area of your life. I get it. I'm the same way. We're, we're more about the destination than we are about the journey, how about when you go on vacation as a family? It's hurry, hustle, hurry, hustle, sprints, go, go, right? And everybody get in the car, let's go, 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 so that you can get to your destination so you can do absolutely nothing, right? We rush to do nothing. But here is the inescapable conclusion that we read about in God's word and in the story. God is not in a hurry. God is not in a hurry. So far, just so far, Abraham was promised he was going to be a father of the great nation. In order to be a father of the great nation, he's going to have to have a son. We read about it. it says you're going to be the father of a great nation. But then he's got to wait like decades later until the son is born. That seems God's not in a hurry. Joseph has a dream. Brother's going to bow down to him. He's got to spend the next 13 years in and out of prison and, and as a slave. But God comes through. God is not in a hurry. Moses, this guy, Moses, he already spent 40 years on the backside of the desert working for his father-in-law, tending to sheep. God is not in a hurry. David is anointed. You are the king of Israel. But he doesn't ascend to his throne for 20 years. How many of y'all know that people around him are going, yeah, right, king of Israel. God is not in a hurry. What should take 11 days ends up taking 39 years. And I think this is the reason why, what the Lord revealed to me. God is more concerned about who you are becoming than where you are going. They've got some time in the wilderness. Maybe in your journey, I'm sick. My mama's sick. My, my child's sick. God Almighty, we need healing. God is, God is more concerned about who you're becoming than the end result. So God is going to heal 
in whatever way that looks, he will come through. But if he gives you everything in a nanosecond, it will not build any faith or character inside of you. It's who you're becoming on the in-between during the journey. God, while I wait for my healing, while I stand firm in the faith and believe that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to come, your marriage is in trouble. It's struggling. And what you want is you want it fixed. You want to be happy finally. You want to be healthy finally. God is working on this. But rather than snapping his fingers and proverbially blinking his eyes and making it all better, what is he doing in the journey? How is he changing you? How is he strengthening you? How is he bringing you through? Because he's more concerned about who you're becoming than where you're going. He's concerned about you. This is true in, in your life. We want to get the waiting over, but what God is doing while we're waiting is oftentimes more important than what we're waiting for. God does some of his best work in the wilderness. And this is not a story that we want to hear. Let me say it this way. Wandering is a part of becoming who God wants us to be. So let's look at what Israel's, Israelites do with this. They, if you read Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy... There's a lot of different angles on the story of how they respond in their time of wandering. But, but the primary theme that we discover for their wandering is this. Whining and complaining. It's what they do in the space in between. Now, if you wanted to spiritualize those terms and make it sound a little more godly, you could say they're struggling with unbelief or they have a lack of faith, but they're complaining and they're whining between where they started and where they're going, between the beginning point and the destination. These things, whining and complaining, tend to surface. Why? because we don't have enough confidence in the one who's behind the steering wheel and we're sitting in the back seat and we're, we're whining and we're complaining and we're throwing a hissy fit because it's too cold or it's too hot or are we there yet or I can't see. And we're focused on us and the Israelites are doing it too but the primary way they're doing it is about Food. Check out, check out what it, what it says. We read this from, from the message. In fact, I want to read it to you directly from the message because I told you we do this top of page 72. If you open up your, or the message, the, the storybook. Top of page 72, if you would, please. The first full paragraph that's there. Some of you have been underlining in your book, and I appreciate that. Here we go. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing. 
and said, if only we had meat to eat. Now, you got to pause for just a second. What are they eating? Good question. God is providing for them delicious honeycomb that falls from heaven every single day on, for six days. On the seventh day, it does this. They, they gather double on the sixth day because on the seventh day, we're supposed to rest. Honeycomb is falling from heaven. The sweet. I just think of it as the, the cereal. Honeycomb. I mean, it's falling. It's delicious, right? And so it's falling from heaven, and they're enjoying this honeycomb. God is providing for them. And they're like, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. (laughs) Are you kidding me? You were slaves, man. It was no cost. It's like, well, we didn't have to pay for it. You were paying for it with your lives, man. You were slaves. That's, their perspective sure has changed, hasn't it? Also, the cucumbers. It was a farmer's market, apparently. It was just a fabulous time. They could go from, from booth to booth and get some melons and some cucumbers and leeks. And, and here's the ones that I don't get, onions and garlic. It had to been a great camp. But, but, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Are you blown away at all? You were slaves, man. <laughs> They're whining, complaining. And if you read further, uh, you discover that God had been providing for them resources. God provided for them water in the middle of the desert, and it, and it flowed out of a rock. Some people are like, well, that's nice. A little bubbling brook came out, and we got to get a little... No. There were two million of them, plus all of their animals. This was a gully washer. I mean, the water came out of the rock and they had enough water to drink and their animals had enough water to drink and they could water uh, whatever it was that they were growing and and they could bathe, right? All of that water came gushing out of, that's a miracle. God provided the water for them. God provided quail from heaven. It even says, you read it this week, it even says that he miraculously caused the sandals on their feet to last longer than they should have and the clothes on their backs to last longer than they should. How many of y'all experienced those kind of miracles from God? How many of y'all tires lasted longer than they should have, right? Then your car, you're like, well, that's a pretty little orange light with a little engine on it, but it just keeps on going, right? <laughs> Don't miss this. Complaining is contagious. You see it in your family. One person starts complaining, then everybody starts complaining. It takes just a couple of neighborhoods, uh, neighbors to cause a neighborhood to just kind of go gripey. A, a few coworkers in your workplace, somebody starts griping, somebody starts complaining, takes half a dozen people in a church to split a church because of complaining. We don't have that. Thank God, all right? That's God. We don't have that, but we're very intentional about talking to people if they begin to complain. Um, it, Complaining is toxic. It's toxic at home. It's a toxic in your work environment, in our friendships at church. Complainers are like sponges. They just, they suck the life, the joy right out of us. Oh, if you're a complainer, did you come to the right place today? There have been a lot of studies about how this Complaining has a huge negative impact on a community. I was reading a study from the University of Denver. It's kind of fascinating. It, it, they looked at newlywed couples, couples who had been married now for up to 10 years, and they said that one of the highest ways to predict whether a couple will stay married is the level of their whining and complaining. 
And here's how they did the study. Check this out. They found couples where there were five or less negative complaining and whining comments per 100 comments, that marriage had a great chance of surviving and thriving. But marriages where there were 10 or more negative comments per 100 comments, in other words, 10% or more of your comments were whining and complaining in your conversation with each other, not necessarily about each other, but about anything, that was one of the most reliable factors in determining whether the marriage was going to make it or not. So the Israelites are whining and they're complaining, but eventually God's had enough. And, and check out what we read in, in the story on the bottom of page 72 and the top of page 73. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and I love these next few words, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt. Oh boy. You're like, well, that's kind of sinister, God. Actually not. What is God doing? What is he doing? You've got to ask as you see yourself in the story, what is the purpose behind this? Here's what God is doing. God is giving them some perspective. And oftentimes complaining needs a little perspective. Any good parent helps a complaining child gain some perspective, right? And sometimes perspective comes in all different forms. Um, we, uh, we can lose sight of how blessed we are. We can lose sight of how God has provided. And so we need some perspective. John Orberg, I love how he said it this way. Um, he said, if we could look at situations that seem to be unfair and just say these four simple words, it could be worse. Now, what great way to gain some perspective. When you get home today and you open up the door to your mobile home or the, the um, RV or the apartment or the house that you own or rent or neither one, I suppose, you know, you're just there. Um, if, 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 if when you do that and you open up the door and you're tempted to think, if only I had another place to live, then I would be happy. I want to remind you it could be worse. The next time you step out of the shower and you step in front of the mirror and you are tempted to think, if only I had another body, if only I had better metabolism, what you're going to do is you're going to smile instead and you're going to say, could be worse. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and you roll over and you see your spouse, Well, you know where I'm going with this one, don't you? Sometimes what we need is, is we need a little perspective because it feels like life isn't fair. I was on a, let me illustrate this way. I was on a flight one time. I was going from where we were living. I was going to preach a youth, uh, youth camp um, down in Miami, Florida. 
and I, and I was flying there. And so we were on this flight, and I think it was from Chicago, but we, we stopped in Orlando, and then we were going down to Miami. And um, I was in this row, and in front of me was this row of three three chairs, and by the window was what appeared to be a businessman. The businessman had on his Bose headphones and looked nice and was working on a yellow legal pad. Next to him was this little munchkin, right? Little ornery little thing. And next to the little thing was, was presumably mom because he kept calling her mom, so I'm just going to go with that, right? Well, you knew by just hearing the boarding conversation that that little boy was on his way with his mother to Disney World in Orlando. That was going to be the time of his life. He was going to have, he had really no comprehension of how amazing this really was going to be. But he was not happy. And I observed this. He was, he was complaining and whining and throwing a hissy fit. Why? Because he wanted the window seat. Well, I really appreciated the businessman because he just kept his headphones on and kept doing his thing and just ignored the little squirt, right? I said squirt, everybody, just so you know that, just ignoring the little kid. And, 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 and so the mom kept trying to convince the boy, honey, honey, you're going to have a blast. It's going to be amazing. I want the window seat. And I'm thinking, he needs a whooping. That's what he needs, all right? And it's just the old, old school guy in me saying he'd get his attention, right? But here's what I discovered as I'm sitting there in my seat getting frustrated as a dad on the way to a youth camp to teach. I thought to myself, that's us. That little boy is every one of us. We are on our way to a place called heaven because this world is not our home. We started there. And for many people... We got the short stick. We had a tough life. The journey has not been easy. It's been riddled with pain and loss, struggle, hurt, disappointment, betrayal. That's the journey. But we're on our way to a destination where there'll be no more tears and no more pain and no more crying, no more separation and no more discouragement and no more divorce and no more abuse. We're on our way to this different place, but we struggle in the journey. We're on our way to heaven, but we are like, I want the window seat. I want what I want, what I want, what I want. It's not fair. And that's how we invest and spend our... I wouldn't whine like that, Troy. You don't understand. I wouldn't whine like these Israelites. Dude, when there are leftovers in your fridge for more than two days, you complain about it, right? And, and, so, and these guys are, are eating the same meat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, snacks, everything. Same meat till it comes out of their nostrils. And now they're really, really upset. You know, I was reading about a woman who was a missionary, for a short-term missionary. She was uh, on an island um, that had a, a, a group of people that were infected by this terrible skin disease called leprosy. If you're not familiar with it, it eats your skin and your body, your organs, everything from the inside out. And as I was reading about this lady, she was there for 30 days, and she um, mapped out her time there. It was fascinating. But on the final day, as she was there, she... Um, she was doing a worship gathering. 
And as she was doing this worship gathering in this, this uh, a group probably about the size of the center section of, of this campus um, was there and they were worshiping and, and, and she stopped and paused for just a few seconds and she saw a lady with her hand up in the back. Now, it was obvious this woman had been impacted by leprosy because she had a very much disfigured face. She had no lips, her ears were gone, and she had no nose that was really identifiable that was left. She had a hand up in the air, but it was a hand that had no fingers and no thumb, all lost to the skin disease of leprosy. And the woman stops this, this at this point, the gathering calls her and said, yes, hon, what do you want to say? And she said, could we sing that song, Count Your Blessings? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. This woman, who was clearly disfigured, this woman who didn't have a finger on her hand, wanted to sing the song, Count Your Blessings. That's perspective. And sometimes what we need is a little perspective. We get so focused on the negative that eventually God says, you want meat? Oh, I'll give you meat. But he's doing it to give us some perspective. And you want to know what the difficult thing is? Those same children of Israel, this is what we read this week, those same children of Israel that got out of slavery after centuries, that cross over on dry ground on the Red Sea, that God spoke to them, those Ten Commandments, and, and gave them rules for a living. And they saw him in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Those very same ones, everybody over the age of 20, because of their consistent and ongoing lack of faith and lack of trust in God, their whining and complaining, were not permitted to enter in to the promised land. Eventually, eventually, God has had enough. And until every one of those adults died off, nobody was allowed to go into the promised land. Here's, here's what we know. Whining is the opposite of worship. Worship is giving God glory for who he is and what he's done. But whining, whining is ignoring who God is and what he's done. And our story needs to be about, needs to be about worship and giving God all of the glory. Middle of page 76, as I bring this thing to a close. This is Numbers 14, 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them. You see, here's, here's the perspective that whiners and complainers have. Everything God asks of me is too much. And everything God has done for me is not enough. 
When we're in the space between, we can lose sight of who God is and we can lose sight of what God has done and it's very easy. And can I even say it is very normal when you're in the journey, in the space between your, your diagnosis and your healing? It's very easy and normal to start whining and complaining, but God did not call you to be normal. God did not call us as followers of Jesus to be normal, to just fit into the space that we've been given like the rest of the world. We're called to be peculiar people. We must be different. See, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to walk the earth, to teach us, to show us how to live. He died upon the cross for the punishments that we deserve. Our response should not be whining and complaining. Ladies and gentlemen, whether you're here in person or watching online, we must be people that choose in the journey to be people of worship. I trust you. This may not be over yet. I sure did want the destination to be right next to the starting point. I didn't think it was going to take three days. I surely didn't think it was going to take three weeks. I had no idea it would take three months, but it's been three years. But I will stand firm in my faith and belief in knowing that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. He will come through for me. He's got it all in control in the center of the palm of his hand. He's never failed me, and he never will. I choose to worship in the journey. So here's where all the rubber meets the road. The online folks and the folks that are here in Lathrop are the final campus to hear this challenge from me. And as your pastor for everybody in in all the campuses, what I'm challenging you to do is to go on a 14-day fast with me beginning today, beginning this very moment, 14 days of fasting. And I'm not gonna ask you to fast food, you should be doing that anyway. Your own spiritual discipline should be doing that anyway. I'm not gonna ask you to fast those things that are important to you like the internet or your phone or the television, you should be doing that anyway. Whenever there's something in your life that you think you can't live without, that's when you know you need to set it aside because you need to replace that and make sure that God is in his rightful place and on the throne of your heart. That's, that's self-discipline. But what I'm calling our church family to do is to fast something that's even more difficult, to fast something that you're going to be tempted to do constantly. We are going to fast complaining for the next 14 days. And before you chuckle and elbow and give a wink and a nudge, I am talking to you. For 14 days, from today until October, I think it's October the 3rd, for those, in fact, that happens to be Baptism Sunday at this campus. What a powerful conclusion to a 14-day fast together. And so we're going to fast whenever you're, here's the deal, you're going to be given something in a few minutes. Uh, One of our New Life um, wrist 
things, uh, rubber things are going to be brought around to you. And it says uh, the best is yet to come, 10 years, because we're in our 10 year anniversary year of our church, which is great. But you're going to be given one of these for the sole purpose of BM, of be behavior modification. Okay? Yeah. So I got your attention. But so we're, so we're going to use a behavior modification technique, and it's going to hurt a little bit. It's really simple. Y'all been maybe done this before something else. You're doing it for this. Every time you are tempted to complain, somebody at work comes to you and says, can you believe what they did? And you're like, and you're just about there. You're going to give yourself a, a snap. Like you're, a, like you're a dog. You're getting back in to get your attention. You're training yourself. Some of you need to start snapping right now, right? Um, because you're, you're training yourself. I'm not going to be negative. I'm not going to be whining. I'm not going to be complaining. And if you, no, 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 let's tell the truth. When you do whine or complain, you're going to snap yourself twice. Because I'm challenging you to do this. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about trying. It's about relying upon the power of the Spirit to change you. But maybe we can use both and instead of either or. I trust that God is going to help me. But rather than God correcting me and saying, dude, you're going to eat meat. Oh, you'll come out of your nostrils. Because he's done that before. He could do it again. I'm going to take some, some initiative. And I'm going to be a part of this. 14 days. No complaining. No whining. And you're going to, I'm challenging you to hold your family, have a family meeting. So the Allen family is going to go to lunch after this and they're going to sit down and say, hey, 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 we've been told no whining, no complaining. And Kayla's going to be like, well, that's not for me because I didn't take the challenge. And daddy's going to be like, oh, son, you did because the food you eat is not your food. The bed you sleep on is not your bed and the house you're in is not your house. It's all mine. And so because of that, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to go on this, this fast together. Now you can frame a little more positively than that if you want to. Sit your children down, Jessica. And tell them, Dakota and Bailey, we're not going to fat. We're going to. We're not going to complain. And we're not going to whine. And you're going to have to figure out a way to share it with them in a three-year-old way. But but in some way, Mama's going to have to set that standard. Do you see where we're going with this? How can we reach a world that's desperate for hope, grace, love, and peace from God if we're no different than they are? So you got to stop. And we're fat. I'm serious. This space in between is hard. But you have a choice. Will you whine and complain? Or will you worship?